0: Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the Sabbath day and I want to thank you for the privilege we have of, of coming to worship together and to get a clearer understanding on your calling for us in our life. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time as we open your word and study along the lines of this ultimate purpose that you have for us. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. Okay, how many of you were at Sabbath school this morning? Okay, I'm gonna spring off of what we talked about in Sabbath school, the idea of being a disciple of Christ. We have lost the concept today that a disciple is something everybody is called to be. Everybody, you're not a follower of Christ if you're not a disciple of Christ and a Christian, we talked about being the same things. And that calling includes giving the gospel to the world. And I wanna tell you that I shared this morning that statistically Christians in North America 2% of them share their faith on a regular basis. That's it. And one of the main reasons that people don't share their faith on a regular basis, probably one of the top reasons that people give is the it's not my gift answer. Have you heard that before? And I'm not going to ask if you've said it before. It's not my gift. And that's why I don't. I can't give Bible studies. I can't go and tell people about. I just, it's not my gift. Well, I want to clarify something for you. Number one, There are four spiritual gifts lists in the Bible, four of them. In every list, it has to do with corporate church involvement. You know what I mean by that? In other words, individually, we're followers of Jesus Christ, right? Individually, you have made a personal choice to follow Jesus, The spiritual gifts lists are given in connection to the corporate church. In other words, God has given gifts to help you work in the context of church. But outside of whatever you're doing in the church, you're called to be a personal witness for Christ. And that's the second point. Witnessing is not on any of the gift lists. It's not there. You know why? I like to tell people it's standard equipment. It's standard equipment. Like when I bought my car, there were options. I could get power windows and power door locks and I could get built in GPS and all these things but it came with steering wheel and tires right that's called standard equipment according to scripture witnessing is standard equipment it's something that the Lord expects of all of us and uh, you know people say well I don't I don't feel comfortable being in that situation of helping you know to lead people and, 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 and give studies and that kind of thing And uh, I I guess I could ask you the question: how many think, how many, what percentage of people do you think feel comfortable in actually sharing their faith? I already gave you a clue. What's that? Two percent that too, you know why do you think there's only two percent of christians how is it that a christian a person says yeah i'm a christian i'm a follower of christ oh great so christ went out and his whole life was about witnessing and your life is about only two percent of us how does that happen i'll tell you how it happens because people have assumed that if god wanted you to witness it would just come naturally and you would feel comfortable with it but let me turn you to something in the bible here uh, an idea in Matthew 10. Now, Matthew 10 is a chapter where Jesus sends out his disciples. I want you to look at Matthew 10 with me. Matthew chapter 10. And we're looking at verse 28. And again, he has just sent out his disciples, Matthew 10, verse 28. The Bible says here, And do not fear those who what? Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, right? But fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hellfire, right? Now, here's a question that we need to ask ourselves. What kind of person, do not fear, what's another way of saying that? Don't be afraid. What kind of person do you say don't be afraid to? A person who's afraid right who's jesus speaking to the disciples and he's sending them out to witness and he tells them not to be afraid question were the disciples afraid oh wait a minute i thought when you went out to witness if it was your gift it was just natural for you i thought there was no fear involved but jesus is very clear they were timid they were afraid but they went because Jesus called them to go. So the idea of of sharing our faith being a, a, a spiritual gift is not something that's scriptural. And I say that because as long as people keep falling back on that concept and that mindset of the witnessing being a spiritual gift, they won't do it. We'll say, well, that makes me feel uncomfortable and it's not my gift. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we have an abundance of counsel that tells us that if we don't engage in that work, it's the only work that prepares us for heaven. A participation with Christ in service is the only work that gives us a fitness for participation with him in his glory. That's almost verbatim out of the book Education. It's the only work. It, it's, it, it, let's use the words of Scripture. Matthew eleven twenty eight. you know the verse where Jesus says, All you who are weary and heavy laden, Come unto me, and I'll give you what? Rest. And then what does Jesus say? How do we get that rest? Take my, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So Jesus says, if you need rest, come to me. You need to take my yoke and learn of me. How do we learn of him? We take his yoke. What's a yoke? Any of you know what a yoke is? Any of you ever around a farm setting? What happens on the farm? Who wears the yoke? Your oxen, your draft animals, they wear the yoke. When? While they're resting? While they're working. No, while they're working. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus says, you want rest? Take my yoke. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. The animals don't wear the yoke when they're resting. They wear the yoke when they're working. Jesus says, if you want spiritual rest, you've got to work with me. If you want to learn of me you've got to work with me what was he doing seeking and saving the lost so there's an experience that we gain as we go forward and labor with christ and and uh, that's what i want to expand on today not just the idea of i'm not just talking about knocking on doors i'm talking about a life that is in essence a christian life that carries in every aspect of it the mission of christ that mission of christ becomes what we evaluate everything by and god is looking to shape us to be leaders in his cause And the title of the message is i just want to be a sheep how many of you know the song i just want to be a sheep you just got to say it don't you you hear that and you just your bad 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 just wants to come right out of your mouth and it's a cute little song and we teach it to the kids but what is a sheep in that context what is a sheep a sheep follows right a sheep follows and we like that idea of being sheep we can we can, we like the idea of the green pastures and the still waters and I'll just follow and I'll be led to where I need to go and, and, uh, and the responsibility lies with somebody else I can always be led I don't need to know the direction somebody else is always leading and that somebody is Jesus when we think about that song and that's all good But in essence, we're kind of saying, I just want to be a follower in a lot of ways. And the question we have to ask is, is that what God intends for us? Is the purpose of Christ for you and me to merely be followers of him? Now, we're to be followers. We've looked at that, the idea of discipleship. But is that where it starts and ends? I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Matthew, Mark. We're going to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 35. This is when Jesus fed the 5,000. He was preaching. The multitudes came. He preached to the multitudes. The Bible says in Mark 6, verse 35, when the day was now far spent... His disciples came to him and said what? This is a... All right, I just want to make sure you guys are following along with me. This is a deserted place, a desolate place. The hour is late. And then he, what, is he, what do they say to do? Send, send them away, right? The people are there in Mass. Jesus has preached to them. Hey, Master, it's late. Send them away into the surrounding country to buy food, for they have nothing to eat. Now, first of all, it's interesting to note that the disciples were doing what? You got your Bibles. What what, what were they doing? They were telling... Who were they talking to? Jesus, and what were they doing? They were telling Jesus what to do. You pick that up? Hey, Master, you know, know, these people, it's late and these people haven't had anything. Why don't you do this? Now, it's interesting that followers always like to tell leaders what to do. And I'm not speaking to you as followers, I'm speaking to you as leaders. Followers always tell leaders what to do as if they wanted to lead. Only when invited to lead, too often people say, oh, I can't lead. It's too much responsibility. But I want you to notice how Jesus responds. Lord, tell these people to go and send them to buy bread. And then Jesus responds, and notice what he says in verse 37. But he answered and said to them what? What did he say to them? You give them something to eat. Question Who's that speaking to? The disciples, the followers, and... Who else? Are you a disciple? Yes or no? It's speaking to us, isn't it? In other words, here are the disciples, now they're followers of Jesus, and they were supposed to be followers of Jesus, but you see even here that Jesus wants them to start seeing beyond being followers and wants them to see themselves as leaders. Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. There's an experience you're going to gain in giving them something to eat. And of course the question comes back, shall we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? How how are we going to do that? It's impossible. Now they realize the impossibility, but what happened? They brought to Jesus food, Jesus blessed it, and it multiplied, right? So in effect, the disciples did give them something to eat by the power of Christ. Was it impossible for them in and of themselves to give the people something to eat? Is it impossible for you and I in and of ourselves to give the people something to eat? Sure it is. You say, I don't know how to communicate the... Tr- how, who am I to communicate the gospel truth to somebody for the saving of their soul? Well, you're nobody, but pa- coupled with the power of Christ, you can do everything. Yes or no? So here we see Jesus is trying to communicate to them their importance of doing, going beyond just being followers. Let's go to John chapter 21. We're, we're going to see this theme. We're going to John 21. I really want you to see in this not just the 12 or some of the 12. I want you to see in this that this is something Jesus is communicating or seeking to communicate to us today in these last days. John 21 and verse 12. I'm sorry, John 21 and verse 15. Now this is where, of course, Peter has denied Christ. Jesus then is crucified. He is resurrected. He sends message. And you remember the message he sent. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that I've risen. He wanted Peter to know that he still considered him one of, the, one of the disciples. He knew Peter would be discouraged. So they had this encounter, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now there are the other disciples there, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these guys love me? Now why is he asking it that way? What was it that Peter had said before the crucifixion? Jesus said, you're all going to deny me. And what did Peter say? Oh, Lord, hey, they may deny you, but I'll die for you. You know, I love you more. So Jesus asks and puts the question back to him again. But Peter is much more humble this time in his response. Now, he just says, Lord, I know you know that I love you. And what does Jesus say? Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to me, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said what? Tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now we have evangelistic meetings and we like to go to John 14:15 and we say, "Oh, John 14:15, if you love me, keep my commandments." And we like to tell people that that proves to us that the commandments are still binding upon Christians, that that says if you love Jesus, you ought to be honoring him on the Sabbath. And that's true. But what does this tell us? What else ought we ought to be doing if we love Jesus? Feeding his sheep. Tending the lambs, yes or no? Again, Jesus is communicating here some, a, a greater work that he envisions for his followers. I want to tell you that Christians, all Christians, are called to be leaders. Listen, friends, every one of us has an influence every single one of us has an influence you may see yourself as nothing important you don't hold a position or, or 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 you don't know a lot of the bible or whatever it may be but the fact of the matter is every one of us is a witness 24 7 and we're either a good witness or a bad witness i never forget working with a guy when i first came into the church there was a guy that i i uh, went to church with named phil and i remember phil was talking about uh This place that he worked, there was a guy that had come into the work all the time, come into the the counter that he worked at, a customer, and he would deal with a guy. And one day he said the guy comes in, this guy had been coming in for years, comes in and he says, hey, Phil, you're a Seventh-day Adventist, aren't you? And Phil said, man, suddenly it hit me that all those years he was coming in, in his mind he always knew, no matter what he saw me doing, that I was a Seventh-day Adventist. You think about that for a minute? You know, it's just like, uh, suddenly he was gripped with this idea, what have I portrayed to him? Every one of us has an influence. and The Bible says our influence can be a savor of life unto life or of death unto death. And God is calling every Christian to be a leader, to lead people to Christ. You may not lead somebody the same way somebody else does. God is not asking you to use talents you don't have simply to use the talents that you do have and that talent may be very small in your estimation but it's still to be used for god to lead let's go to john chapter 4 and look at an interesting story in john chapter 4. this is the story of the woman at the well at jacob's well the samaritan woman and uh, I'm going to spare the time of the, the you know the whole encounter when Jesus asks or Jesus comes to the well and asks the woman for a drink, and they begin this dialogue. And I want you to notice verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 10. The woman is astounded that Jesus, a Jewish man, would ask her a Samaritan woman for a drink. And in John 3, I'm sorry, John 4, verse 10, it says Jesus answered and said to her, "If you knew the gift of God." And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you what? Living water. Have you ever been timid to share your faith with people? I don't need to ask that. I, I, I like to ask in crowds how many people have gone out door to door and how many people really like to do it. And there's always a couple real hardcore people that are like, yeah, but most people feel timid about that. You know, we don't want to be too offensive or too preachy or that kind of thing. It's interesting to see Jesus' method with this woman at the well. Where he asks her for the drink, and, and she is obviously in the dialogue a little put off or you know a little bit uh, contentious because there was contention between jews and samaritans how is it that you being a jew asked me a samaritan woman for a drink so she's kind of wanting to start scrapping a little bit and jesus answers her and he says if you only knew who it was who was asking you you'd be asking me and you know something that attitude is the attitude every one of us should have has god entrusted you with a precious message of truth Yes or no? You see, the woman, did the woman recognize what Jesus had? Did she see the value in, in, in him as a person at this point? No. And, and, and it didn't break Jesus' confidence. All Jesus said is if you only knew who you were talking to, you'd have a different attitude. And I encourage our students when they go door to door at Emanuel Institute and knocking on doors and you get the, some people slam the door in your face, hey, regardless what their attitude is, I tell the students you just keep in mind if they only knew what you had they'd be coming to you that's the reality Jesus knew that regardless the attitude from the outside he knew that what he had was precious now notice um, he says you would ask me and 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 I would have you would have asked him speaking of himself and he would have given you living water and the woman said sir you don't have anything to draw with and the well's deep where is it where then do you get that living water are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well, et cetera, et cetera? Now notice what Jesus answered. Verse 13. Whoever drinks of this water will what? Thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will what? They'll never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him what? Spring. A spring of water or a fountain of water. What is the water? What's he talking about, the living water? What's that, what is he offering to her when he offers living water? Eternal it's eternal life. It's the water of life. It's the water of salvation. And so here he's offering, and Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water that I give, that water will become in that individual a fountain. Have you drank of the living water? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? What does he say? That water becomes a fountain, a spring of water, a fountain of water. What do people do with a a fountain of water? What did the woman want? When When Jesus was talking, he was talking about coming and getting a drink. You go to a fountain, you get a drink. What Jesus is saying is everyone who drinks of this water should become a person that anyone else can come to to get a drink of that living water are you following the principle here now listen again spiritual gifts when we talk about spiritual gifts in the corporate sense of the church everybody has a part to play in the church but as individual disciples of christ every one of us has a role in giving living water to somebody else that's what god has us here for and and in another way you could look at it this way jesus said whoever drinks of the water of this world will thirst again as long as we are living in this world and living by the principles of this world, we'll always be consumers. We'll always be consuming. We're thirsting, and we want, we want, we want, and it's all about getting what I need. When you become a... When you drink the living water, you become a fountain. In other words, you become a producer. You become a leader. Are you following what I'm saying here? This is the principle that Jesus is trying to communicate, is there's got to be a time when a person... When a Christian goes from being a consumer to a producer, goes from being a leader, goes from from being a person who's receiving to one who's communicating. Go with me to Matthew 24. And we're looking here now in Matthew 24 in the context of the last days. You know Matthew 24. It's the signs of the coming of Christ. Matthew 24, we'll, we'll start in verse 45. Matthew 24 in verse 45. The Bible says here, who then, it's just got done telling us it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah when Jesus comes again. Verse 42 says, watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So he's talking about being ready. And then he says in verse 45, who then is a what? What? faithful and wise servant whom his master made what ruler over his household we want to answer this question who is this wise faithful and wise servant that the master has made ruler over his household who's the master here god is right and who's what's what's god's household it's this world and god has put somebody over this world in a certain sense this is what is being communicated here the question is who who is the faithful servant that the master made ruler over the household to do what to give them food in due season or at the proper time now what kind of food are the servants of the master giving at this context of the end of time when it's like the days of noah what kind of food is it ho-hos we're giving the gospel message right the food of the word of god we're breaking the bread of life and it says here that the master of the house has set some of his servants as rulers over the household for the purpose of giving them food at the right time food in due season The Bible's simply telling us here that there will be people, God's faithful, at the end of time, are going to be giving the bread of life. Okay? They're, they're not just going to be sitting as consumers, but they're going to be con- producers. They're going to be leaders. Okay? It just The picture comes up again and again. I mean, you can't escape, as you go through Scripture, that God has called us to be those who communicate the gospel to the world. And we do that in a a leadership capacity. And and, and I want to just interject here that we're talking about the overarching principle of giving the gospel to the world, but I'm going to tell you that the practical aspect of this takes place where the rubber meets the road is is in our daily lives and in the local church. Now, I shared this morning in the seminar that the missingest population... In the church today is the 18 to 29 year old group and I'm going to tell you in a plea that we need 18 to 29 year olds who will step in and start being producers and leaders instead of consumers the church is in desperate need of it you go back and look at Adventist history and how did this movement start up and I want to tell you if you look at the movement of the Adventist Church where we started we formed with about 3,500 people are you aware of that? 1860, I always get it mixed up because I'm in Michigan. Michigan was founded, I think General Conference was 1863, Michigan Conference in 1861, if I have that right. About 3,500 people in the church. You know how many people in our church today? Over 17 million. Okay? Now, we're not, a, we're not the biggest church in the world, but let me just compare that with something else. Let's take the Seventh-day Baptist Church. That started... A little earlier than we did in the mid-1800s with 3,500 people. You know how many members they have today? 50,000. Now, how do we have 17 million and they have 50,000? I'm going to tell you how, because we're God's movement in the last days. I mean, that's the reality. Only the Lord could move it. And how did he do it? You go back to our history and you see that young people, young adults, took hold of this concept that God was calling them to lead out of darkness and into the light. See, the thing about the, the, the young adult age group is that the, the energies are there to accomplish so much more and I'm just telling you and you're going to learn it if we're here long enough and by God's grace we'll get off of this rock sooner than later. The longer you're here, you're going to realize that the energy, your energy does not continue to increase in this life. You start to get old and you start to lose hair everywhere you wanted it and gain it where you didn't. And all kinds of other things. Sure, laugh now. But I'm going to tell you what. People get old. And the energies, I mean, it's... it's I, I've run into to, uh, uh, young people who say, well, you know, I just have some things in my life that I still want to do and before I really commit to the Lord. As in, I've got to have some fun first before I go and shackle myself to the church and then I live this drudgery for the rest of my life. That's really not what it's about. The devil... Tells us that living in, in, and investing in the cause of Christ is going to cost us all the joy in our life. But the reality is, no matter when you come to Christ, you'll always wish you'd come sooner. I'm going to tell you that now. You'll always wish you'd come sooner. The Lord is co- calling us to be leaders in the church. The Lord is calling your generation to be leaders in his church and to take an active part we see the food in due season Uh, let's go to the book of hebrews and i want to see something in the book of hebrews here that might even be a little bit more to the point what we've looked at so far i suppose you could look at some of these things and say well he was talking to he was talking to people who were pastors or people who were going to be professional ministry or something like that we're going to the book of hebrews chapter 5 And I want you to notice verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be what? Teachers. Teachers, You need someone to teach you again the what? The first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need... Milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of what? The reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There's a few things I want to point out there. This is tough, isn't it? This is the after lunch thing. In fact, it was John Ross I heard bring this up at one time. Uh, when he was in Michigan doing a seminar, he had this theory that, that the problem was when people ate lunch, they ate so much and it, and it, you know, oh, the food stretched the stomach out and the skin stretched and it pulled down the skin over the eyelids. He was being a little facetious. I don't think he really believes that. But the point is, right after lunch, it's hard to come and sit... And listen to something. That's why I'd encourage you to follow along in your Bibles and that kind of thing. Listen to me. Uh, What the Bible's saying here is so crucial for us to understand. In Hebrews 5, what Paul's saying here is, what's he telling them they ought to be? Who's he speaking to, by the way? Who's he speaking to here? The church. He's just speaking to, this is the church. This is the congregation. They come in on Sabbath morning. This is the laity. And he says, you guys ought to be teachers by now. But you're still drinking milk. What is the expectation of the Apostle Paul for the congregation? That they always be sheep? Ba, 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 ba? That they always be followers? No, that they be teachers, that they be leaders, that they be communicators of the truth. It's the same thing we've already seen in all the other different places. The point is that the Lord is trying to communicate that He is entrusting us with responsibility. Now, Paul talks about how when he was a child, he lived like a child, he spoke as a child, and, and I'm asked young people, I'm going to ask you: what's the difference between a child and an adult? Size. <laughs> Size. Let's see. I see Eris Andrews back there. And I know Eris Andrews when he was 16 years old was bigger than me when I was in my 40s. I'm still in my 40s. but So size could be a part of it, but not necessarily, Mr. Lemna. Wisdom. Wisdom. What is the transition? When When you move from childhood to adulthood, what really happened that made the difference? You know, of course, we say, oh, well, I turned 18. Yeah, right. Uh, I know 35-year-olds that that are still children. The reality is that there's something that takes place in that transition. What is it that makes the difference? Well, experience you gain. But I know people that have experience that still act like children. Isn't it responsibility? I mean isn't that the reality listen I read an article and, and it, there've been a number of articles that have come out now Time magazine had an article called Twixters I think something to that effect where they talked about the people who are trapped but somewhere between the age of of 20 and 35 you had 35 year old uh, people that were still living at home with their parents they really weren't sure what they wanted to do with their life and they compared it to times past where people be married and in their own homes and making their own living at 22 and and what happened you've got this age group of just you know this transitory i don't know where i'm going kind of mentality and what's the key difference i'll tell you what the difference is it's responsibility a person goes from childhood to manhood i mean listen In in ages past, a person at 14 years old, a young man may strike out on his own, get married, and start building his own house. It's when you move from freedom to responsibility. One of my church members just graduated from Southwestern, got a degree in teaching. Just got her first teaching job, and guess what? Well, this last summer, she just went out and went all out this last summer, going here and traveling there and everywhere else. You know why? Some of you have done it or are thinking about it. Why do you think she went and gallivanting all over the place this summer? Because she's about to have a real job. Because she's about to have a real job, says the young man up front. That's exactly right. She knows that from now on it's not gonna there's no summer vacation. You say, but she's a teacher, you know, the one profession. No, you've got follow-up education and stuff to do. But that's the reality is when a person shifts to adulthood, they're taking on responsibility. And listen to me carefully. A child who never takes on responsibility doesn't grow now, do they? You guys remember the first time, some of you remember the first time mom and dad left the house and said, okay, now you're in charge, right? How many of you remember that? Your brothers and sisters remember it, I'll tell you that, if you're the older one. They remember it, oh no, it was the end of the world, you were going to be in charge of them. It was a a transition, and those little transitions of giving responsibility helped you to begin to grow, right? So what happens in the church? You know, we see that in life. Even here in college, in your experience, there's a lot of things that many of you, for the first time, you're stepping out and venturing out, and there are new responsibilities, and it's understandable we have those responsibilities. They're the things that begin to make us more mature and more adept and and able to carry on the, the, the things we need to carry on in life. But then we come to church, and for too many people in church, we never go to that responsibility area. We're just, we come in and we expect that the, what we get is going to be given to us by the pastor, by the elders, or somebody else too often. We don't see ourselves as leaders. And when we have somebody who needs Bible studies, well, certainly there's got to be somebody in the church who can study with my friend or my coworker or whatever. And Jesus would say to us, no, you give them something to eat. Right? And then we would say, but I don't know how, right? That's what we do. I don't know enough. Have you ever been tempted to say that? How much is enough? Have you ever thought about that? How much is enough? How much is enough before you say, okay, now I know enough? You think that time comes? I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 12 years. I did Bible work before that and everything else. I don't know enough either. What is enough? You share what you know. God doesn't ask us to share what we don't know. And god doesn't ask us to use talents as i said that we don't have but the lord expects us and we see that here in hebrews paul is expecting his 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 lay people to be rising to the occasion to become teachers leaders a point where they transition to take responsibility listen to this statement from the pen of inspiration this is from the book gospel workers page 200 and it says the following Let ministers teach church members. Now I'm a minister and and some of you may be ministers and many of you are church members and this is what God is communicating to his prophet that a minister needs to teach the church members. Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them. What's another word for burden? It's Not guilt. Conviction, burden. What is it? I heard it somewhere. Responsibility, right? The minister needs to teach the members that if they want to grow spiritually, they've got to carry responsibilities. Well, we know that in the everyday life, it works that way. Let the minister teach the members that if they want to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. Did you know that that is a responsibility that the Lord has given you? Well, the Lord told me right here that as a minister, I'm supposed to communicate that to you. To let you know that you've got a burden that God has placed on you, and that burden is a burden to lead souls into the truth. You say, well, I don't know enough. Then start finding out. I mean, most of you are here at college learning stuff you never knew before, right? Isn't that true? I mean, people learn foreign languages and never never spoken, but you can't learn to give a study, which it happens to be carrying out the burden that the Lord has placed upon us. The fact of the matter is, it's just like Pastor Doug was saying in the message, I don't know if it was last night or this morning, that a lot of times people will say, well, I don't have time for devotions. But let them get that test result back from the doctor that says you've got cancer, and suddenly time springs up to have devotions. The reality is a lot of it's about priority, priority, prioritizing and realizing the calling of God upon us. Unfortunately, even as I'm communicating, for some of you, you're thinking, "Wow, well, if I did that, you're thinking of the duty side and the responsibility side, and that, oh, well, you know, there's this burden and responsibility I should be taking, but you need to be thinking more of the understand, more of the idea of this. God would not give you or me any kind of responsibility that wasn't something that would give us the sense of completion of fulfillment and and contentment that we're looking for the devil has us running in so many different directions to find our real purpose and god is trying to say in the midst of it all here's your purpose here's what i created you for i mean you're going to find yourself in some occupation to pay the bills But wherever you go, God says, you're an ambassador of mine. You're a witness for me. I'm putting you in charge. You remember that first time you were put in charge? Mom and dad said that, and how do you feel? I'm in charge, right? But how do you feel when you're put in charge of something? You may have had one of your teachers say, hey, I need you to help me out on something, and I'm going to put you in charge. How do you feel when you're put in charge of something? What does that communicate to you from the teacher? when the teacher gives that responsibility what is that what is that saying that teacher sees he's he's confident in you he sees that you can do it what does it communicate to us when when the Lord is saying hey listen I want you to share me with others if we can get past the fear and trepidation we stop and realize oh whoa, well, wait a minute the Lord has confidence in me isn't that right The Lord has confidence in us, and he sees what he can do with and through us if we just get past some of the trepidation and and, and the timidity. She goes on in this statement to say, Those who are not fulfilling their responsibility should be visited, prayed with, and labored for. You know, we've got a lot of people today and we've got a lot of voices that are telling us that this is what we have to do to get the latter rain to fall on the church. We've got to restudy ordination. I don't know if you've heard this. Before the latter rain is going to come. We've got to understand the 2520 prophecy before the latter rain is gonna fall. We've gotta have corporate repentance in the church before the latter rain comes. I don't know if you've heard any of this, and there's a dozen other things out there that people will say, this is what we've gotta do before the Holy Spirit can come and latter rain power in the church. And that's great, everybody has a philosophy, but none of those things are biblical or spirit of prophecy based, but there is something that is spirit of prophecy based, and this is what Ellen White says about the latter rain. She says, when the church, when the majority of the church become laborers together with Christ, Then she says God will recognize the fact by pouring out his spirit on the church in large measure. So a lot of people have theories, but it's tragic that we don't hear the one that is given to us. This is what needs to happen. We need to become laborers together with Christ. We need to start becoming teachers. We need to take on the responsibilities God is giving. And then the Holy Spirit will come in latter rain power to give us the the equipping that we need. Ellen White says, those who aren't fulfilling this responsibility should be visited, prayed with, and labored for. But we're too busy, even in ministry today, we're too busy to be faithful ministers to follow up and communicate and train the members to know just exactly what this is telling us needs to happen. The Lord is calling us to be leaders. And I wanted to start with this because... I'm going to follow up this topic by talking about effective leadership, but a lot of people today, the vast majority in the church say, oh, that's not me, I guess this is for people who are elders or their personal ministries leaders or something. No, this is for you. And my friends, until we get this clear, that God is calling us to lead, we're going to be languishing in this world. Or else somebody's going to lay hold of it. And it'll be like Jesus said to the church in his day, Many are going to come from the east and west and sit down at the right hand and the left hand of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the, children, and the sons of the kingdom are going to be cast out into outer darkness. Sometimes we think, well, the Lord's just going to wait for us, and... but the fact of the matter is, his work is going to go forward, and I want to see each one of us be a part of that work. I want to give just a few more... Uh, uh, visit this idea of leadership and talk to you briefly about some of the qualities of a leader. Some of the qualities needed, because you're all called to be leaders, you need to know the qualities of a leader. Number one quality that a leader needs to have is conviction. And there's a vast lack of conviction today. That's why this whole seminar is going on this weekend. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I talked this morning in Sabbath school about Christian culture. We've got, our church is vastly confused about what we believe anymore. I want to clarify something for you. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is a worldwide church. Are you aware of that? We have world-voted policies. We have world-voted doctrines. I'm going to tell you that I, I, I know this as being a minister and being a leader in my conference, that you can go around the world. Incidentally, my conference is a, is a conservative conference. People say Michigan's a conservative conference. Folks, the whole conservative and liberal thing is, is a, a smokescreen. It's a smokescreen. All it's done is create an option that's not there. Somebody, oh, I don't believe in creation, that it happened in six little days. I'm a liberal Adventist. No, you're not an Adventist or a Christian. You're either biblical or you're not biblical. These terminologies that we put out there are are non-existent in Scripture. I mean, the fact of the matter is you either believe the Bible or you don't believe it. And as a Seventh-day Adventist church, we have voted beliefs that we as a church have come together on. And it doesn't matter what the local practice is. I go different places, and people practice different things, and, and we get into that cultural mindset, but I'm going to tell you, I praise God, that our faithful leadership in this church has still maintained, we, st- we believe the same things we believe from our inception, contrary to some popular opinion, where people will say, well, we didn't used to believe in the Holy Spirit, and now we do. Uh, no. You follow it along, and you'll see God has a world church, and God works through that. And I'm going to tell you, God works through the organization of the church today, same as he did in the early church. Uh, this isn't a, a study on the church organization, or we go into that. The problem is, when you don't have, when you don't really know what you believe, how much conviction is there? You know, how are you going to lead somewhere, somebody somewhere where you're not sure where you're going, or you're not sure you want to go there? We can look at the church and say, I don't understand why the church isn't moving forward. Well, how's it going to move forward when the people who are supposed to be moving and aren't convicted about where they're moving to? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because God has called us all to be leaders, you've got to settle in your mind what you believe. I know young Seventh-day Adventists, they go through the church and they're just like, well, I don't know, I guess I'm just going to wait it out, it'll pan out sooner or later. No, you're not allowed to let it pan out. God's called you to be a leader. Find out, invest yourself in finding out what I believe, what you believe, right? Clear up the doubts. You have that responsibility so that when you know where you're standing, your conviction can help drive forward the work of God. You ever get behind somebody in traffic who doesn't know where they're going you're driving along and they pop the pump the brakes and so then they start going again then they speed up then they slow down then the blinkers on going right and then the left blinkers on then they slow down again has that ever happened to anybody ah that's so frustrating that's what it's like following people in a church that don't have conviction just constantly doesn't they're speeding up they're slowing down they don't know they're going left they're going right In the book Fundamentals of Education, Christian Education, page 254, Ellen White says this. She says, Many seem to think that all that was essential in speaking about Sabbath school work, but you'll get the point here, that all that was essential in Sabbath school work was to organize the school and drill the scholars, the students, so that they would act in harmony with a set of ceremonies and forms. And that if persons could be secured as teachers, The Sabbath school would run itself. Teachers are often secured who cannot lead souls to Christ because they do not know what it is to find him precious to their own souls. There's no conviction there. But all who do not know the value, I'm sorry, all those who do not value the soul so that they will work as Christ would have them will scatter away from Christ. He that, and she says, mark these words, gathereth not with me, scattereth abroad. If you're not not solid on your conviction of what's true, you're scattering abroad. That's what it's saying, and that's what she's emphasizing here in this statement. If teachers have no burden to lead souls to Jesus, they will grow indifferent to the truth, they will become careless, and the atmosphere with which they surround their souls will work to scatter away from Christ. Everybody has an influence, and every one of us is leading somebody somewhere. Where are you leading people? My young friends, Jesus has called you to lead people to him. You see conviction in the early church. You see the disciples of Christ when they first came to him and they said, we have found the Messiah. And you see how that conviction turned into a motivation to spread the gospel to the world. We need a renewed sense of conviction that will motivate us to action. A leader does not wait for something to happen. A leader makes things happen. I'll cite to you some examples. Remember the paralytic's poor friend, uh, poor friends, four friends, pardon me. You remember the paralytic who had the four friends who let him down through the roof? I mean, think about it. You're, you're, you're with those guys. You're one of the four and you come and you bring your friend to, to Jesus and you come to that house and it's packed and you can't get in. What do you do? I'll tell you what a lot of people would do. Well, I guess we can't get in. There's no way in. I guess we just got to go home. There's nobody here to let us in. There's nobody here to lead us in. A leader with conviction makes a way. And what do we see them do? They find a way to get into the roof and let him down through the roof, right? You remember the story? They let the paralytic down through the roof and the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. True faith prompts, prompts to action. We see it in the woman with the flow of blood who pressed through the crowd. We see it with Zacchaeus who climbed up the tree, right? These are people who wouldn't wait for everybody to make the, pave the way for them, but they opened the way. They put forth effort to see things happen. And I want to tell you that the Lord allows those things. You know, the Lord doesn't let everything happen easy for you and me because he wants to develop the leadership potential in us. I'm going to finish up with a statement from the book Gospel Workers. This is one of my favorite statements. I honestly would encourage you to read the thing in, in I'm reading a, a good bit of it here, but I'm going to have to leave a lot of it out. But the section is called How God Disciplines His Workers. And this should resonate with you if you have been seeking to follow Christ, where he's leading you. Gospel Workers 269 and 270 says, The Lord disciplines his workers, that they may be prepared to fill the places appointed them. Now, had you read this before, perhaps you would have thought, oh, his workers, that's somebody else. But now you know it's talking about you, right? Lord disciplines his workers that they may be prepared to fill the places appointed them perhaps he places before them duties that they would not choose has god ever done that to any of you if they are willing to be guided by him he will give them grace and strength to perform these duties in a spirit of submission and helpfulness some god trains by bringing to them disappointment and apparent failure God brings disappointment and apparent failure sure he does why listen it is his purpose that they shall learn to master difficulties apparent failures listen my friends you can't fail with God you can't fail with God when you're on God's side and you're doing his work you can't fail with him And so sometimes God lets us see apparent failures. Why? Because we tend to be so passive and he wants to develop in us those leadership qualities of being able to press forward and open pathways. Go through open doors that the Lord has said It's his purpose that they shall learn to master difficulties. He inspires them with a determination to prove every apparent failure a success. Often men pray and weep because of the perplexities and obstacles that confront them. But if they will hold the beginning of their confidence steadfast unto the end, God will make their way clear. Success will come as they struggle against apparently insurmountable difficulties. Apparently. What's that? Gospel workers 269 and 270. Apparently insurmountable. Why? Because there's no mountain that God can't help you overcome. And God needs people who will believe that strongly enough to get in and labor with him, to take that yoke, to be leaders in his cause. It goes on to say, In his providence, God places before human beings service that will be as medicine to their diseased minds. Thus, he seeks to lead them to put aside the selfish preference, which, if gratified, would disqualify them for the work he has for them. If they accept and perform this service, their minds will be cured. If they refuse it, they will be left at strife with themselves and others. Sometimes God calls us to do things and if we would just go where he leads, even though it's something that we're a little nervous about, it would develop in us those qualities of leadership and she says it would cure our minds of the trouble and the perplexity. But when we say, oh, that's too hard, it's too much of a sacrifice and we don't go that way, it only creates more trouble in our lives. My young friends, God is calling us to lead in these last days. God is calling all of us to take hold of his work. God has qualified everyone here to play an active part. God doesn't just want us to be sheep, bah, 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 bah. God wants us to be more than sheep. Sure, we're to follow Jesus, but in following Jesus, he wants to teach us how to lead. And my simple appeal to you is how many of you, in considering what you've heard today, wanna say with me, Lord, I don't even know where all you're leading. I don't know what the future holds, but I want to be used by you as a leader in this church in these last days to move the gospel message and hasten the day of your coming. Is that your desire today? Can I see your hands? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Father, throughout the scripture we've seen evidence that you're calling us to step up and be movers and shakers in the work, leaders that make things happen, not because of all of our astounding abilities, but in spite of the lack of them, Lord, you're calling us to trust in you and to step forward in faith and lead the people in our own sphere of influence with whatever talents we may have, to know you, to embrace you, and to become a part of your work. And Father, as we continue to explore this subject, I just pray that you'll take the willing hearts here, that you'll enlist us in your service, that you'll bring about the mighty revival and reformation that's been promised, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out in latter rain power, and we would see the day of your coming in this generation, Lord. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.